It is a beautiful day to apply some logic and confess the truth. I'm Megan Steele, and this is Confessions of a School Nurse. Hello, I am so excited to have you here on episode five. I have looked forward to this episode for a couple weeks. I have to first start out by telling you about an email that I received from a listener. It made me laugh so much. Laura is a school nurse on the coast. Um, She's on the East Coast. And she has been sharing with her colleagues about um, the do not apply logic side of life. And she was talking to it about to her principal. And she found herself like just attending a lot of end of school year meetings. And for those of us that live in the Midwest, right, our school's out, we have been enjoying summer for a couple weeks, but on the coast, they start in September and go through through June. And she was just really tired of attending all these meetings. And so she bought her own uh, Do Not Apply Logic sign here. And she took that to a meeting and set it in the middle of the table. And the principal just kind of looked at her perplexed and was like, what's going on? And she's like, "Ah, let's apply some logic and start and end on time. And lo and behold, the meeting started to begin on time and end on time. Is that not amazing? I love it. Laura, thank you so, so much for sharing your story of do not apply logic. Um, If you want to get your own plaque of do not apply logic, please go over to my website at confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. And also please keep sharing your stories. I love hearing them. Um, Kind of a little bit of a change of subject here. I just wanted to let you all know that Facebook is, is a turd and it is blocking my stuff all the time. Apparently, because I'm not promoting drag shows and I don't have naked men dancing in front of children, um, I can't be allowed to post on Facebook. So I encourage you all to follow me on Twitter. Elon Musk has got it going on over there. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Confessions of a School Nurse. Um, and it's confess the logic at confess the logic. So, all right, today we are uh, going to tackle some more of that school to scalpel pipeline. But today we're going to talk about ways that you can talk to your own children, right? And the ways that you can talk to your students about all of this nonsense surrounding the alphabet pronouns and the transgenderism. And then towards the end of this episode, I'm gonna talk about ways to find a counselor or a psychiatrist or a psychologist that will not gender affirm, right? And that will provide you and your family with, with the help that you need. And as full disclosure of this entire episode, I am not a counselor. I am not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I am a nurse and I am a mother. And the things that I'm going to talk about today um, are not endorsed by by counselors or psychiatrists. It's literally nursing communication 101 and being a mom 101. All right. So let's let's get dive in and let's start. I once heard that when children come out of the closet to the parents, that the parents go into the closet. So it essentially is creating this second closet phenomenon. And this second closet phenomenon really isolates parents, right? They have so many fears. What are others going to think of them? 
what are the church leaders going to say? What are their friends going to say? What are my parents going to say? What are my siblings going to say? What are their nieces and nephews and so forth? Like, how could their child do this? They, where did I mess up as a parent? Where did I go wrong? What did I do? Right? I just can't imagine knowing what it would be like to be one of these parents and what they're going through, right? They know that their child was created in the image of God. And now they feel completely uh, like this wind has been knocked out of their sails. And you know what? These children, these precious children feel the exact same way. Children that question their identity, they are scared and worried, depressed, lonely, and afraid. And they want to be safe and they want to be loved and they want to feel so valued, but yet they feel totally ashamed. It's a double-edged sword, sort of say. Um, so besides prayer, right? Prayer is the number one thing, but the number one thing next in line to do that you need to do as a parent in these situations is listen. Yes, listen. If your child is coming to you, you have to listen. And when you listen with an intent to understand, it fosters an environment of love and respect. No matter what, make sure that your child knows they are loved by you and they are not alone. All right, that's it. Peace out. Great podcast episode number five, right? Have a good day. Wouldn't it be amazing if it was just that easy, right? I Okay, I'm going to pray and I'm going to listen. Got this. I can do it. But let's break down, right? Let's break down this listening. Let's break down this communication because here's the deal. You have to build an open relationship with your children, which consists of open communication and love. And if your children are older, you need to start today. You need to start having open communication conversations with them today. If you don't have children, you have got to create this environment the minute that they are born. Because if your children cannot come to you with questions and thoughts, they're going to turn to the world. They're going to turn to social media. And trust me, you do not want the world telling them the answers. You have got to have the open communications with your child and you've got to have them frequently, like daily, like multiple times a day. And when you have these open conversations, you're creating this environment of vulnerability, critical thinking, and showing kids that you value their thoughts and their ideas. And this process really works both ways. If you open up to your child about really hard challenges that you're having, maybe that you're having in your job or, or in your relationships or problems you've had in previous relationships, they're going to open up to you about their really hard challenges in life. So how do you open up and have these open conversations with your children? You ask open-ended questions and you ask all the time, and you have asked about everything from playing Legos to schoolwork, to their job, to their friends, to their athletics, you name it, you ask open-ended conversation, open-ended questions. So for example, what do you think about that? How does this make you feel? Tell me your thoughts on that. The more of an open-ended question that you can have, the better. Because when you ask yes or no questions, it requires little thought. 
and it does not provide an open and engaging environment to have a conversation. It's more of a, I have to answer this dumb type of question, so I'm just going to hurry and answer it and walk away. That's the environment you have when you say a yes, no question, like, was lunch good today? Yes. How was science class? Fine. So you have to be open about this. So as a nurse, I am trained in asking open-ended questions because I want to be able to gather all of the information that's going on with my patient. And so when a kiddo comes to my office and they say that they don't feel good, I respond with, tell me about that. And then the kiddo goes down the little rabbit trails that they have, and I'm able to piece together information, and I'm able to see all of their body language. Actually, I was watching their body language as they were walking down the hall to my office. I already made my diagnosis when they walked in the door, right? Because that's what we do as nurses. But when I am able to ask more open-ended conversation and questions, I can get to the bottom of the issue. And I have a holistic view of what's really going on with this child. Because if this kid comes to me and says, I don't feel good. And I go, well, where do you not feel good at? I'm literally going to get a one word answer. They're going to be like my stomach. Well, then I'm not going to know that they didn't have breakfast because they were running late and they didn't get on the bus. And then their homework wasn't done and the teacher got mad at them. So they're upset and their tummy hurts. So I can treat that right better than just, I have a tummy ache. So open-ended conversations and questions are very are, are used a lot in the medical field, especially in, in the field of nursing. And so as a parent, I have strived really hard to do this with my children. And now that two of my children are older, I can honestly say that this works. Uh, my children are very open with me, sometimes a little too open, but it's again, I'd much rather them come to me than go to the world. Uh, but how, how do you as a parent do this? How do you engage in these? Um, so for toddlers, right? Like I've got twin toddlers and they're playing with Legos. So I would tell them, tell me about your Lego castle. And then in their toddler little language, they're going to tell me. And then I'm going to respond with something like, that's so cool. And then I'm going to point to something else on their little Lego castle. And I'm going to say, tell me about this. And then they're just going to go on. And this takes a couple minutes, but it's so engaging for the child, right? I'm developing the idea that we can have open-ended questions and open-ended conversations. And I'm allowing my child to think deeper and process what they're doing. And I'm starting this as a toddler. So um, it, it may seem minor, right? Like it's just a toddler. It's just a two-year-old. I promise you, when you do this, when they are a teenager, they're going to come to you and they're going to talk to you. So you have to build this environment now. You have to be attentive and actively listen and question. Question everything they do. I see you playing in the sand. Tell me about your sand toys. Trust me, this takes a lot of practice. Lots and lots of practice, especially if your kids are older and especially if you're not used to doing this. Um, you have to practice as a parent. And on my website, I have a list of 30 open-ended conversation starters. So that way you can have some starters. You know, you can pull out your phone pretending you're looking at something and actually be looking at the um, open-ended question starters, right? We're going to apply some logic there. So I'm helping you out, parents and teachers here. 
But if you've got an early elementary age kiddo, they find humor in a lot of things that, that we may not find humor in as adults, or sometimes we find way too much humor in their stuff, right? So you need to say something like, tell me about the funniest thing that happened at recess today. I see you did math today. Show me what you did. And as they are showing you, ask more questions. Middle schoolers, uh, they're a little bit of a challenge, right? Like, like, tell me, like, tell me about how science class was. No. Well, how was lunch? Fine. Right? Most middle school kiddos, they have attitudes, right? And remember, you know nothing because middle schoolers, they've got it all going on. Honestly, with this group of, of kiddos, you just have to keep pulling it out of them until they're going to get used to this new type of communication and this new type of environment that you're creating. If they have social media, then ask them about what they're looking at on social media and not in this terrible, inquisitive, you're going to be in trouble because you are looking at social media, but be like, dude, I saw this funny video today. What was the funniest video you saw? And if you can meet them in the middle somewhere, that's really helpful for them. Now, if you don't have social media for your children, good for you. Then you need to have a funny joke ready to go that kind of lightens the move. And then you can move into more uh, deeper questions um, like, hey, I was listening to the radio and this song came on. Tell me about this song. Or I saw you jamming in the back seat. Tell me about that song. How does that make you feel? And then whenever you get going on things, right, you can sing the same song together. You can jam out to it in the car. Next time you get in the car, you can play that special song for them. But whatever you do, just don't stop asking questions. It may take a few weeks, honestly, because middle school kids, they're just in the world of their own. But once they get used to it, they'll start opening up. They'll start having those conversations. But you as a parent, you're going to have to work extra hard to pull it out of this age group because they're not used to it. They don't know what you're doing. They're, they think it's weird that you're trying to be in their lives. So for high school age kids, remember they know everything, right? You're dumb. You're dumb. You know nothing. You have never experienced life like they have. You're just this weird person that, that lives in their home. Um, years ago, I was talking to a student about teenage pregnancy and she was like, you have no idea. And I was like, um, sister, I was pregnant in high school, so I know exactly what you're going through. And she was like, oh. And then she responded and we were able to open up and connect and, and her baby was adopted. It's a beautiful story of love. Uh, but it also came with trying to get at the same page as them, right? And, and really, really working there. Um, high schoolers, you just have to know what they like. You have to know what their interests are. What are they doing every day? What things are they involved in? Are they in music lessons? Are they in art? Are they playing football? Are they weightlifting, trap shooting? What, what are they doing? And then you have to be a part of that. So like if you had a child that was a football player, um, you can ask very specific questions that are open-ended. For example, what kind of skills did you work on at practice today? Tell me about that cool play you did during the game. I wonder what would have happened if you missed that tackle. What do you think about? Well, I wonder, do you think so? Tell me why. Those are just some really good open-ended questions for high schoolers. 
Again, if you've never done this type of conversation with them, it's going to be very hard for you. It's going to feel very awkward. There might be some of that weird silence that happens. You have to have open-ended questions in order to have open-ended conversations that will progress somewhere. And so you just, just start, just start today, work on it and, and be sure you check out those lists of questions because that will really help you out. Again, they're on my website, confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. That's confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. And uh, you can find that there as well as all kinds of information on the alphabet pronoun dictionary. I would encourage you to check that out so you know the language that these that these children are using so that way you can be better informed and better prepared to have these conversations. All right. Um, as a parent, right, we're going to start communicating. We're going to start looking at these open ended questions so we can have these conversations. But what about you as the educator? What about you as the school nurse? You're going to start communicating like this in your office and you're going to need to start communicating like this in your classroom because open-ended questions and conversations will build trust. It's going to build the student's ability to critically think and think outside of that box. Their curiosity will grow. You're going to get more engagement with their students and they're going to take some ownership in their learning because they're not going to be able to answer in one word answers anymore. They're going to have to think deeper, think critically be engaged, right? So when you have a student that has come to you and they're discussing the alphabet pronouns and, and they're kind of getting somewhere with you, right? You feel like these questions are about to come. First thing we know that we have to do is listen, right? We know that we're gonna ask open-ended questions, but then what? Remember from earlier, remember that second closet phenomenon, that's where the parents are, but the students are also feeling that as well. And here's a thing with the alphabet pronouns. Because they think, they feel gay, that means that they are gay. It's a feelings versus labels type of thing. So I get angry. That doesn't make me a wicked witch. My feeling of anger doesn't label me. So feelings are normal and need to be validated, but labels do not. So the first thing that you need to do when a child comes in to talk to you about these things is to thank them. Thank them for being brave enough to come to you to talk to you about these really, really hard things. This shows them that you love them. It shows you that they're not alone. And it also lets them know that you're there to listen. And that's what they want. They want somebody to listen to them. That's why the Trevor Project is so successful with their hotlines and their chats, because somebody is listening to these kids. But we want that to be the truth, right? We want that to be the educator. We want that to be the school nurse. We want that to be the principal who can give them the real truth, the parents that can guide them in the truth. So this would look like something like this. A student comes into my office and he sits down and he starts talking to me. And then I would say something like, Nick, wow, thank you for, for sharing this with me. I see this is really hard and confusing. 
okay? Secondly, acknowledge to your student that you may mess up this conversation because you are human and you may be really mad or scared or confused or you don't know what you're saying or you might not say the right thing and so you're just like Bleh. so it's okay to acknowledge that be real with the students so be like nick i'm probably gonna say something really dumb and i'm sorry and i might say something that offends you and i'm sorry i want to help you and I want to listen to you. And then shut up, be quiet, just, just stop talking. Let the student talk and be silent until they talk. Five seconds of silence can seem like five hours, but you are the adult, don't talk. Did you know that one of the most powerful things that you can do for a child is to apologize. When you sincerely apologize, it opens up vulnerability and it shows them real love. So after you've thanked them for being in your office and you've acknowledged that you're gonna mess up and you're sorry about that, ask these questions and be sure when you're asking them, you're not just like, well, tell me what this has been like. No, be human, be real, be vulnerable, have humility and vulnerability. So it would be something like, Nick, th this, this looks very hard and confusing. Tell me what this has been like for you. Tell me about how you feel. What do you know about being bisexual or transgendered or lesbian, whatever it is? Tell me how long this has been going on for you. Do you see the difference when you ask with humility and vulnerability versus, well, tell me when this has been like, mm, how long? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, there's a difference, right? Like when you're real with the student and, and you're wanting them to open up to you, you have to be able to open up and be kind and caring back. Um, the reason that we do want to know about time is because the latest trends are that students in 2023, they have not been having these feelings for years, right? They have not been identifying with this. They literally just started with a lot of this garbage when they were shut in their homes and forced to learn online. And they learned from social media and the world. Um, a few students will mention that, you know, they felt like this way since they were born or they've been feeling like it since their friend did it a couple years ago. But this knowledge can help you kind of guide the conversation along to pull out more information and, and get more specifics out. You know, are they hurting themselves? Have they thought about that kind of thing? Um, do they have resources at home? What, what are their parents thinking? That kind of thing. The big key here with this conversation with a student or even with your own child Listen more, talk less. Listen more, talk less. Um, when you do that, you're building this relationship of trust and vulnerability and humility and love and caring. And again, listen more, talk less. That is very hard for nurses. Okay, maybe it's just hard for me, but it's hard for a lot of nurses. 
And it's very, very difficult for educators because they're used to educating, right? We just want to talk. We want to throw out all this knowledge that we have. We want to help everybody around. But when you have kids coming to you with really tough things, listen more, talk less. And open-ended questions help you do just that. All right, so here's where it can get a little bit tricky. The student has come to you. Now what, right? Um, I work in a private school, and so I'm really fortunate that we serve to be an extension of the family's home, and so it's an immediate phone call for me, but there's a lot of other schools, especially public schools, that you have policy that you have to follow, and you as the educator, the school nurse, need to follow that policy. Some schools have the policy that you need to report it to the guidance counselor or that you need to talk to the principal, but you do that you followed policy, then what? Keep checking in with the student. Keep talking to the student. You have got to keep these conversations going because you have to fill them with the truth. Because if you don't, the world is going to fill them with delusions, right? You have to fill them with the truth. Um, but, but telling a student who is struggling with the alphabet pronoun movement um, that you think that this is just dumb and that Satan is playing a game with them, that is never, ever, ever going to be appropriate. And especially the first time that you talk to a child about this, even your own child, um, because it will immediately shut them down and they will never come to you again. I have been in private universities and private schools for years, and I have had a lot of students struggle with this more recently than in years past, but I can tell you without a doubt from experience that students that are struggling with this whole alphabet movement thing, they feel like God's not with them and they feel like God made them different and they feel like God is not loving them and they're angry with God. And I find that so incredibly hurtful and sad and how hard that that must feel that the person who created them and loved them made them different like that would be horrifically hard to believe that and and to feel that way um so so what do you say to that right how do, how do you handle that well you acknowledge their feeling i'm not saying that you agree with it but you acknowledge it so say something like that must be really hard. Tell me about that. And then shut up. Let them talk. Remember, again, listen more, talk less. And after they talk, right, they kind of get it out. We're getting somewhere. This is when you tell them the truth. I know that you are feeling like that right now, and that's okay. I want you to know that God loves you and he made you into such a unique and incredible human being. And then shut up. You've acknowledged their feelings. You've validated their feelings. You didn't agree with them, right? And then you provided them with the truth. Um, but, but dealing with public schools, uh, public universities, you're not going to be able to do that. So you're going to have to speak truth 
through biology. You're going to have to bring in the science because that's truth. That's real. That's something you can talk about in public schools, male, female, male, female. And then by keeping that conversation open and ongoing, you're going to be able to discuss more and more truth. And here's the key thing that parents need to know, that educators need to know, that schools don't want you to know. They do not have, a large majority of them don't. Now, California, they've got some crazy rules going on there right now. So if you live in California, you need to pack up and move because they're coming after your children and you will not have your children any longer. Um, so, so move out of California. But for all the other states, a lot of these schools, they do not have written policy that you can't talk to a student's parents. And for me, this is an absolute must. You have got to inform the parents that you have just had very, very hard conversations with their child. Some of these schools try to say that FERPA, that Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, right, that it requires you uh, and states that you can't talk to parents. That's the exact opposite of what FERPA really is. FERPA means that as a minor, your parents are gonna get your information. But as an adult, when you're 18 and over, your parents aren't going to get that information. That's what FERPA is. It's like HIPAA, but for the educational systems. So students, minors in middle school, elementary school, high school, right? They're under the age of 18, except for seniors. So you must talk to the parents. And the student may ask you not to, right? They, they're coming to you. I need you to keep this a secret. Don't tell anybody. Well, then you need to ask them why. What, what's your concern if I talk to your parents? Tell me about how that makes you feel. Um, a lot of them will say like, well, I don't want them to know or they... Okay, so I have to be a little honest here. Years ago, I, I did hold off talking to a student's parents for a few days because I wanted to see if the student would converse with me a little bit more, have more conversation, talk to the teachers, administrators, kind of get a holistic view of what was going on. Um, but I don't do that anymore at all. I don't think that that is a good practice. I think the day uh, or shortly thereafter, you have a conversation and a hard conversation with the student that you need to immediately inform their parents. Um, and the purpose of this is that it's a child safety issue and, and the parents need to know. If I found out that my child was having conversations with the school nurse or with teachers about um, the LGBTQ movement, the pronoun alphabet, and that person never called me, shame on you. Shame on you for not telling the parents one of the most important things about their children. Um, it, it, you have got to talk to the parents and you need to do it immediately. Waiting is not okay anymore. Our, our world with social media and the rapid movement, we can't wait. We have got to communicate with parents. And I'm honest with the students when, when they come and they tell me and they're like, oh, can you keep this a secret? Don't tell anybody, blah, blah, blah. Um, I tell them that I, I'm very worried about them and that I want to give them the best help possible and that a lot of times um, help can take a bit to get. And so while it's going to be scary talking to your parents, uh, we can call your parents. We can talk to them in, in my office. Um, we can talk to them over the phone, whatever we need to do, whatever I can do to make that student feel more comfortable with it. But I don't I don't hold back from talking to the parents. 
um, because they need help, right? They, they are suffering from mental delusions and mental illness and, and they need help. And now we move on to they need help. So where do we begin with that? There, there are countless stories in the news of the counselors gender affirming. I don't know if you have seen Matt Walsh's What is a, a Woman movie. If you haven't, you have got to see it. It is life-changing and it is very scary for those of us that are in the medical field of how people are, are harming children. It's literally like concentration camps with these doctors giving hormones and performing the, the gender surgeries on our ch children. It, it's heartbreaking. Um, but one of the things that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to get a counselor or a psychiatrist involved in your family. Um, counselors are not practicing in truth these days. They're doing a lot of gender affirming. So finding a counselor is going to take a lot of work, a lot of work, a lot of time, like a lot of time. And it may require travel. So you, you do need to keep that in, in mind, but your child, your child is worth every bit of that, every bit of that. Uh, to be honest with you, good counselors, they're going to have a wait list. And that wait list seriously may be six to nine months. You put your name on that list and you get on that wait list because this is your child and your child is worth fighting for. You don't want some mediocre person who doesn't know what they're doing giving your child counseling advice, right? Um, it is crucial that you find the right person. So in addition to praying about finding the right counselor, psychiatrist, psychologist, you need to research these counselors. What type of therapy do they offer? Do they use the diversity, equity, inclusion language? Because if they do, move on. Do they say that they gender affirm? Move on. Do they believe in hormone therapy? Forget it. Uh, most often, all of this is on their website. Uh, if any of this is there or anything remotely involving the alphabet pronoun is on their website, do not waste your time. Find a different website and scroll through those counselors. Once you find a counselor, again, this might take a lot of time. Like you seriously may need to take a day of vacation off of work, lock yourself in your bedroom and go through counselor after counselor after counselor after counselor until you find somebody. And when you do, and you finally can have this appointment that you need to set up with them before you bring your child there, you as the parent need to meet with them and you need to tell them your issues. And you're going to ask them how they're going to handle these situations. Um, if they mention anything about that, they're going to affirm the child, you move. You just get up and you leave. You don't need somebody affirming your child's delusions, get up and walk out. Um, and just because a counselor says that they are a Christian counselor does not mean that they will not affirm delusions. Satan is getting really, really good at this game. And Christian counselors are affirming children's delusions. So don't just go to somebody because it says they're a Christian counselor. You need to meet with them. You need to find out what they're gonna do, how they're gonna handle the situation. How does their office make you feel? Is it anxious? Is it cluttery? Is it nice? Does it make you feel peaceful? Does the counselor listen? Do they cut you off when you're talking? 
What is their plan of treatment? How are they going to handle kids with delusions? What is their track record for handling kids with delusions? How are they going to involve you as the parent? Remember that second closet phenomenon I mentioned earlier on? This is a family 